back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by, yeah, you heard me say it, to catch the lightning, mystery, sacrifice, and selfishness of creative vision. Yeah. You know what? This is a big conversation today because, you know, mystery, sacrifice, creative vision, all of this is part of what we do on the show, which is about living life full out. And you just heard me talking with Kimberly about how this is for us. You know, as, as big as the media is, you know, we're bringing a new message. And the new message is about positive living. It's about sustainability. It's about creating a life that we desired. It's about giving back. And, you know, my guest today joining me, he's had a few switch-ups in his life as well. Alan, uh, Alan Chews is a regular contributor to National Public Radio's All Things Considered. He has appeared on NPR's Weekend Edition Saturday and PBS Programming News Hour with, uh, with Jim Lair. And he is here joining us today because we're talking about a few things. First and foremost, I want to say that after nine years of research and writing, you know, Alan is joining us here today because he has got one of the most ambitious projects yet. And we're, I want to get him right on because, first of all, I want to have him share with you what his life has been about and what does it mean to make a shift in your life that puts you on the other end of the table. How do you move from critic to being critiqued. It's a big, big job. And, Alan, thank you for joining us here today. My pleasure, Pat. Well, you know, let me ask you this question. I mean, I just shared a little bit about who you are and what you've done. But to move from critic to critique, being critiqued, I mean, that's huge. And i got to ask you the question. You know, given all that you've done, what are some of the challenges that you had to overcome to make that transition? Well, the most difficult part of it uh, for me was, you know, I, I was teaching college as a critic, and then I got fired because I started writing fiction. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I once interviewed Mr. T, and he said, uh, well, they told me I couldn't write a book because I hadn't written a book before. <laughs> he said, that was my obstacle. He said, well, my mother had me, even though she didn't have any children before me. He said, so you've got to turn your obstacles into stepping stones. So, uh, you know, I, when I got fired, I had a lot of time, and I thought, well, you know, I've always wanted to write fiction and uh, just hadn't done it before because I thought I would, had to have a serious job like uh, you know, teaching college literature and, and writing reviews and articles. But now I have the chance. So uh, fortunately, my wife at the time had a job and she could support me. We made a pact. We said, okay, you've got five years to try to learn how to write fiction. And within three years, I sold a story to The New Yorker and was kind of moving along. Uh, alas, the marriage didn't survive for another five years, but um, I, I managed to turn things around, turn my obstacle into a stepping stone, as, as Mr. T put it. Well, you know, Mr. T, I, I, love, I love that story, by the way. Yeah. I, I love that story because it really sums it up for all of us. You know, it's, it's kind of like me trying to get on radio and people saying, well, you've never been on radio before. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, you know, it's almost like the chicken and the egg story, yeah. but here you are. Yes, Here you but, are to catch the lightning at rave reviews, and I, I want to talk about this for a little a bit so that people understand. I mean, this this is a story of, of challenge. It's a story of inspiration, uh, and, and it's really a story that will help all of us, especially in times like now. W wouldn't you say? I mean, let's talk about that for a minute. Well, this Edward Curtis's story is... is uh for me, a heroic story. You know, he he was a very successful uh, portrait photographer in Seattle uh, just before the 
20th century. And uh, out of almost out of nowhere, even though it was all around him, he had a vision. Uh, he decided he wanted to photograph all of the Western American Indian tribes mm -hmm. in, in their uh, traditional garb before that culture faded away. And so he, he gave up his very successful uh, portrait photography practice and threw his life into this project. Uh, it took him 30 years, and it uh, destroyed his marriage and disrupted the life, the lives of his five children enormously. Although, I have to say, if you take a vote, four of them, four of the five came out on his side at the end of those 30 years. Uh, but he, he uh, you know, there's a, there's a phrase, I, I, I hate to go classical on you, but uh -huh. in, in Dante's Inferno, uh, at one point, Dante is looking at a particular set of damned souls. He's peering at them through the bushes, and 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 Dante uses the metaphor. He says, "He says I looked at them like someone who throws his life away on birds. In other words, like a bird watcher." And uh, you know, Curtis decided he was going to give up this lucrative portrait photography for bird watching, as it were. You know, for this enormously important project uh, of photographing all of these tribes before they disappeared, and. Uh, he managed, uh, actually, it was because of his portrait photography, he managed to meet Teddy Roosevelt, uh, who gave him the job of photographing his family. And when Roosevelt heard about the project, he sent Curtis to J.P. Morgan. And J.P. Morgan gave him what at the time was an enormous amount of money, uh, $75,000 to, to do the first volume. And uh, and Curtis, had he'd already been in the field, and now he had the money to continue his, his field work. And he started making these these uh, these books in, sub, with the subvention of Morgan, and, and with Morgan's money, they uh, were all published. Uh, Morgan uh, held a big banquet at the Waldorf Astoria and got all his wealthy New York friends to subscribe to the whole series, and so that produced even more money. And uh, Curtis was on his way, but eventually, you know. Morgan died, and his son Jack was not as interested in the project. Anymore. Right. <laughs> and at that point, Curtis had to mortgage his business, and then uh, he became went to work in the movies. You know, as a movie cameraman, he, he actually worked on the, the the first Ten Commandments, that is, the Silent Ten Commandments for for DeMille, and he used all all of that money went into his project. Uh, so basically, it was his life, his fortune, his sacred honor, and, and uh, at some great cost to his wife eventually committed suicide, mm. and it was kids, although at the end of his life, uh, and, and it's I, I have that actual statement in the last chapter, his son Hal, his oldest child, who uh, loved going into the field with his father as a boy, you know, fished in, in mountain streams with, with uh, some of the tribe members, and traveled with him across Montana on horseback, although he became deathly sick at, at that on that trip. Hal says, on, on Curtis's deathbed, he says, he was the best man I knew. And that, that was just an extraordinary thing after all the turmoil that, the, that Curtis's project had thrown the family into. You well, know, I don't know I, if there's a moral to this story. Well, you yourself, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what resonates what with me, Alan, about it is that, I mean, the story that you just told, I believe, is going to be a story that many people are going to be telling a couple years from now about their own lives. Well, I hope and so. what it's like to go through crisis, mm -hmm. and you know what, what? And do we hold true to who we are and what we believe in? Yes. 
along the way. Yeah. I, I mean, look at you, for example. I, I mean, let's just step back. Okay. I mean, is it your own, look at me for like, Yeah, I mean, is it your own life sort of a reflection of what it means to enter into this place of enacting your true calling? Well, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. My father wanted to be a writer. One of my earliest childhood memories is sitting in the living room listening to him clack away at this old typewriter uh, in this little alcove off the living room. And uh, his his desires in that regard didn't come to anything. But I guess that's where I somehow had that image of someone, a man sitting in a typewriter full of passion and trying to put words on the page. But, it, you know, it wasn't until I was in my late 30s that I really was able to do that because, I mean, in my case, I just didn't know enough about how to do it. I had the desire, I had the passion for it, but I didn't have the knowledge, I didn't have the technique, and that, that took a while for me to gather. Uh, you know, most writers start out uh, in their early 20s, mid-20s, um, but my heroes are the writers who start in their 40s, like Henry Miller, uh, and and uh, Harriet Dorr, wonderful novelist who didn't start writing until after her husband died. You know, she was 65, and she went to, to Stanford and studied in the writing program and started writing novels then and wrote some beautiful books from between the age of 65 and 80. So um, it's a matter of timing, but it's you also have to ask yourself, you know, am I ready for this? Can I do it? What do I need to do what I truly want to do? I love that question. That's that's the question that's going to take us to break. We're going to come right back with this conversation. Alan Chu is joining us here today. And, you know, not only are we talking about his personal life and the story he wrote, that he's written, but to catch the lightning, mystery, sacrifice, selfless, selfishness of creative vision. We're going to be right back with Alan and talk about how the unfoldment of this story reflects the true nature of living life full out. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. Alive Expo joins the Dr. Pat Show in paying it forward. This is an idea whose time has come, and Alive Expo has stepped it up by offering free admission. It's the Alive Expo Economic Stimulus, Saturday and Sunday, November 8th and 9th, at the Linwood Convention Center. Enjoy healthy lectures, fitness demos, sample natural and organic products, and receive tons of free product samples. Admission and parking is free. This is one event you don't want to miss. November 8th and 9th at the Linwood Convention Center. Visit Alive Expo. Join Mystic Radio with Robin Alexis on Sundays at noon as metaphysical mother and TV personality Robin Alexis helps countless people around the globe to live fuller and more conscious lives. She serves you using her gifts as a medium, medical intuitive, past life reader, and more. Get your free on-air readings with Robin Alexis every Sunday at noon. And now hear rebroadcasts of Mystic Radio Wednesdays at 1 p.m. and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Is Egypt calling you? Join Dr. Friedemann Schaub, Danielle Rama Hoffman, and world-renowned harpist Peter Sterling for a sacred sound journey to Egypt, February 2009. Picture yourself meditating to magical harp music inside the Great Pyramid, luxuriating on a night cruise and exploring sacred temples in private visits for travel that expands your consciousness and opens your heart call 866-903-6463 or visit egyptiscalling.com 
Are you suffering from chronic pain and fatigue? Are you tired of taking medications? There are solutions that are completely natural and effective. The key is to identify the root of the problem and allow your body, mind, and spirit to do the healing. At Holistique Medical Center, Dr. Darvish and her staff do just that. Treat you as an individual. Find the root cause of your symptoms and stimulate your innate healing. Call Holistique Medical Center at 425-451-0404 or visit drdarvish.com. That's drdarvish.com. Did you know that nearly 60,000 dogs and cats are euthanized every year in western Washington? Posado's Safe Haven Space Station, a state-of-the-art mobile vet clinic, travels to the areas that need help the most. Posado's is reducing the number of unwanted animals by making spaying and neutering easy, safe, and inexpensive. To check the space station schedule or to read more, please visit posadosafehaven.org. That's P-A-S-A-D-O safehaven.org. Are you looking for a unique place to book your holiday party? Here's a hot tip. The new Zenai Center in Bellevue. Zenai's co-founder and private celebrity chef Curtis Ross will serve you and your guests delicious, healthy cuisine and conscious cocktails in 4,000 square feet of beautiful, sustainable open space. Contact Zenai at 425-457-7665 or visit ZenaiCenter.net. That's Z-E-N-A-I Center.net. There's nothing else like it on the dial. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. everyone welcome back to the dr pat show this is talk radio to thrive by if you want to find out more about us check it out www.thedrpatshow.com or drpatlive.com that would be dr for doctor and by the way you know we are doing an entire series of shows i mean not that we don't do positive talk radio or transformative talk radio whatever whatever that means to you but we are all about making sure that we provide you with programming that's going to uplift, inspire you, and help you take action in your life. Alan is joining me here today to catch the lightning, mystery, sacrifice, and selfishness of creative vision. Well, okay. I want to say to everyone, and Alan, I want to ask you, first of all, before we continue, would you please give folks information about how they can find out more about you, more about the book, and yes. then I would love to share with everyone when you're going to be coming to the Seattle area. Uh, yes, if you, if you go to www.alanshoes.com, uh, you can find me. It's uh, A-L-A-N-C-H-E-U-S-E, A-L-A-N-C-H-E-U-S-E.com. And that, that's got uh, the, this book and stuff about my other books, and, and it has... Uh, if you, Click on tour. You can find out where I'm going to be at a, a bookstore near you. Well, look, one of the things I want to ask you is right within the title. Yes. Uh, and that is mystery, sacrifice, and selfishness of creative vision. And one would say, wow, that sounds harsh. Is it, you know, because we don't deal well with the term selfishness. Well, and I wanted maybe. to ask you about that because at some level, in order for us to really launch and take our creative vision out into the world, we have to be a little of that, or am I wrong? Now, uh, you know, certainly the, the artist, the writer, the sculptor, the painter, the dancer, the, the composer has, has to be extremely selfish or what we call selfish in normal social terms. But uh, I think most of us who work in that way would call it devotion and, and intensity and focus. And it comes at some sacrifice. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you can work alone, and then no one gets hurt. But if you have the kind of ferocious uh, requirements for time in your studio or or on the road that many artists have, um, you know, you you have to have a partner or family that, that, that's going to understand that. And it's not always easy to find the, the right person, as many of your listeners know. But you just have to keep trying. Uh, find someone who knows what it is you do and how much you care about what you do. And uh, you'll find an answer that way. So it's it's selfishness, but in a, in a deeply serious and inventive way, which, what, you know, what many people call creative way. Mm-hmm. You can't make music or fiction or dance or sculpture or paint without spending your days <laughs> and sometimes even your nights doing it. It's- There's no question about it. You know, there, when I was uh, really young, and I want to ask you about, about this, when I was really young, I was first introduced to, you know, the, the sculptured piece of the thinker, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the piece I'm referring to. Rodan, yeah. And, 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 I, and I, I remember, this is what my folks said that I asked, and I think I was like five or six years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were telling me about this, and I, and I saw this, and I saw this statue, and they said to me, you know, he's thinking. And, I, and, and, it, and here's what I asked them. I, I asked the question, when does he stop thinking and start playing? <laughs> <laughs> and this was as a kid. And, you know, my, yeah. my uncle mentioned this to me not too long ago. He said, do you remember that question? I said, you know, I remember it vaguely. But, I, but the question that you and I are really asking is, we have vision. You had a vision. I have a vision. We've got to take action. So there's a part of our time, a part of our life that we have to carve out that we dedicate to that vision. Is that what you're doing today? That's what I'm trying to do. I mean, you know, um, Robert Penn Warren, he's about 84 years old uh, when he died, and he, he said, he said uh, to me once, he said, you know, I'm 82, every morning I get up and I'm trying to be a writer. And that's what every artist does. I mean, you get up every day and you see a blank page or a blank sheet of music, a blank canvas, a blank screen, and you try to fill it. So it's not just something that happens once and then continues along like a wave. It's, uh, you know, a tsunami a day. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of concentration, a lot of focus. And in, in my case, it took a lot of, of time to learn what I needed to, to do and how I needed to do it. So it's a matter of acquiring technique, too. You know, in the case of writing, reading is the, is the single most important part of your education. It's not experience. It's, it's funny, I suppose, you might think as I say that. It's not experience. Experience is all around you. Experience happens. You can sit in a room and terrible things will happen to you. All you have to do is have a family and you have enough experience to write about, but it's learning the technique that allows you to make it good. That's, that's extremely crucial in your education as, a, as an artist. Uh, you know, what you said is so really, is so seriously important. And I've got to ask you this question. I mean, it, you know, for all of your experience, could you have ever taught yourself what it would be like to be on the flip side of the table and have others now critique your work. No, I, I, I didn't really think much about that. And, it, and it's really kind of, uh, oh, you know, somewhat, sometimes embarrassing, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, amazing. But, uh, you know, as my, my, my wife said to me as I headed out on this tour, uh, don't forget that you spent 10 years of your life writing this novel. So, right. uh, you know, enjoy, enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, it, it, it's just a matter of adjusting your, yourself slightly to, uh, to people talking about you when you spend most of your time alone writing about other people. 
do you want, Alan? What would you love people to know about this book, know about you, and know about what they're going to experience when they actually meet you on tour? What would you like our listeners to know about this? Well, if I you know, quote Pat Robert Pentmore again, you know, just a man is still you know, who's trying to be a writer, and, and I hope that I can make the best possible uh, stories, plots that are, that are entertaining and interesting and maybe possibly even might have something to do with your own life. So, uh, you know, most of what I write is fiction, and that sounds frivolous. It sounds, you know, it's all made up, but it's not made up. It's, uh, it comes out of my life and the lives of all the people I know and all the lives of all the people I've read about, that I've heard about. You know, William Faulkner worked in the post office in Oxford, Mississippi, when he was first starting out as a writer, and he opened the mail. <laughs> That's how he learned about other people when he first started he opened other people's mail, and he found some amazing things. So uh, I, I think a, you know, a fiction writer is somebody who delivers other people's mail. You find those stories that are the most fascinating to you and try to use your technique to make them fascinating to the readers. I knew there was a relationship to my uh, mail delivery job <laughs> and doing radio. <laughs> you I just coined it for me. Folks, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, Alan, thank you so much for joining us here today. I would love for you to take a moment to uh, give everyone the websites again. And then, what's your personal message for us today? Okay, first the website, which is www.alanshoes.com, and that's one word, A-L-A-N-C-H-E-U-S-E.com. Uh, you know, I say to, what I say to my students when they say they want to be writers, I, I say, well, there are three things you need to know. Live as hard as you can, read as much as you can, and write as much as you can. And I know it's impossible to do all those three things, but you have to try and do them at once, especially the, the living part and the studying part and the uh, inventive part, the, the, the creative part. You've got to try to do everything all at once, all the time. And when you try to do that, things will sort, them, sort themselves out. I love that. I'm going to take that to heart myself. I've got a couple of books that are half done, and it's time to, like, get cracking at it. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Wow, what a great show. Uh, we've got lots coming up. I just want to let everyone know, you know, since the last time Paul McCormick was on the show, the, the economy has taken a downward spiral, and he's coming back to tell us how the formula for millionaires relate to people who are simply trying to survive hard financial times. We're going to kick it up. Yep, we're going to kick it up in a few minutes, so stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. <laughs> 